Um, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, isn't it? Everywhere we go, in our homes, and shopping malls, uh, even around our campus, Thanksgiving has been had and the Christmas season is upon us. We hadn't even cleared out the plates from Thanksgiving dinner that my brother, uh, to my kids, he's Uncle Jeff, he's the, he's the wild and fun uncle, he leaned over to them and he said, so, what's on your Christmas list? <laughs> and they hadn't yet thought about it, but immediately their eyes started to glow with greed. And they came up with a lot of ideas fairly quickly. It was quite, quite surprising. This week we pause our engagement with the Gospel of Mark, and instead we're engaging our Advent series. We're calling an unexpected arrival. An unexpected arrival. As every aspect of the Christmas story is a surprise, right? Nobody saw it coming. Perhaps you might think, well, they should have. We had prophecies like that in Isaiah 7 that Don just read for us a few moments ago. But as you read the stories, everyone's surprised. It was an unexpected arrival. This morning we're beginning in the beginning in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. I invite you to hear God's word read for us this morning. This is how, Matthew writes, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now remember, first century marriage was very different than our own. Uh, to start, relationships were usually arranged by the parents. It's like that little boy who said, I hope a pretty girl moves into the neighborhood and on my side of the street. And one of his friends protested, why does she get to be on your side of the street? And he said, well, because someday I want to get married and mama won't let me cross the street. <laughs> Now, in the first century, the bride and the groom spent very little time together, if they were allowed to do so at all, prior to the wedding day. There was about a year-long betrothal process. It was official, and it was a legal arrangement entered into by the parents of the bride and the groom. And even though they weren't yet officially married, to call it off would be considered a divorce in the first century. It required multiple witnesses, it required a legal process, you had to sign all the papers in triplicate, and often it even included a cash settlement. Which means that if Joseph had gone through with his plans to divorce Mary, to end the betrothal, Mary's family would have yielded the entire dowry, the entire full amount of money offered by her family for the wedding and the marriage. He could have done so legally because what does the text say? He was a righteous man, and he knew what the law said. He could have done so in light of what seemed like an apparent unfaithfulness. And Joseph knew the law. He knew that then marrying an adulterous woman, on the other hand, was not an option. One commentator put it this way, said, Joseph did not want to expose Mary as an adulteress, Yet neither would he marry someone who is so obviously guilty of sin. So what does Joseph do? He chooses the only other option available to him, a formal divorce proceeding in relative privacy. Joseph's plan expresses simultaneously his righteousness and his charitable kindness. 
What was his plan? To divorce her quietly, to end the betrothal with as few people knowing as possible. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Notice the angel says, don't be afraid. I always appreciate when the angels say, don't be afraid. They seem to say it all the time, and people seem to still always be afraid, don't they? The angel says, don't be afraid. It's not only because of this unexpected arrival, he's also afraid because in a few short months, his family, his friends, his coworkers, well, they'll do the math. And they'll realize that this baby was not born nine or ten months after the wedding. Joseph is afraid, and he has very good reason to be afraid. His family and his friends and his co-workers may soon not be his family or his friends or his co-workers. His fears are justified because, remember, this was a shame and honor society. And these, this young couple is going to be shamed and excluded and rejected. He has very good reason to be afraid. But then Matthew explains All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And here Matthew quotes from Isaiah chapter 7. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, this verse in Isaiah 7, um, from which Don read for us a few moments ago in context, it's so central to our understanding of Christmas But this wasn't originally thought of as prophecy. When it was first written in Isaiah chapter 7, 750 years before Jesus' birth, it was thought to be only about the present time. That somehow some baby would be born and would be so mighty and would be so powerful and would lead the people so well, it would be like as if God were with us. But it's only after Jesus' birth that Matthew looks back and he realizes this is not only history of something that happened 750 years ago, this is also prophecy, pointing forward to the good news of Jesus. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and indeed he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Can you imagine how much courage Joseph had to have? Can you imagine how much courage he had to have with everyone saying everything about him all the time? Can you imagine how much courage he had to have? Early in his ministry, a pastor named Dr. Clarence Bass preached at a church in downtown Los Angeles. He thought he'd done quite well in his very first sermon as he stood at the door greeting people as they left the sanctuary. And the remarks about his sermon were all complimentary. Not sure how that would feel, but anyway, that's another story. (laughs) Everybody's telling him all of these great things until one elderly man walked by and he said, you preached too long. (laughs) And he kept walking. Dr. Bass wasn't too phased by the remark. 
especially in light of all the other comments that were so incredibly positive. <laughs> you didn't preach loud enough, someone else said. But then when Dr. Bass looked to see who was talking, he realized it was the same elderly man. Again, he tried to shake it off. You preached too long, you didn't preach loud enough. What's this guy's problem? But in light of all the other compliments, well, it, it doesn't really add up. It's okay, we'll just kind of try to ignore it. And he thought it really strange that man had come back through the line twice to give two negative comments, but when he came through the third time, it called for some explanation. The man said to him, you use too many big words. And Dr. Bass is thinking, wait, I, I thought you couldn't hear me. What's your problem? <laughs> so he sought out an usher who stood nearby and he asked him, do you see that man over there? Who is he? And the usher said, don't pay any attention to him. All he does is go around and repeat everything he hears from everybody else. <laughs> Now, the courage to preach a sermon is one thing. For some of us who, who might not be interested in standing up before a group of people and, and aren't really interested in, in uh, public speaking, it takes courage to preach a sermon. The courage to hear God's word in a dream and respond when you know you're going to be ridiculed, when you know you're going to be shamed, when you know you're going to be excluded, well, that's a different kind of courage, isn't it? That's a different kind of courage. And that's the kind of courage that Joseph reveals after he hears God's word to him in a dream. That's some kind of courage. Pastor Tim Keller uh, points out in, in one of his books how Joseph was courageous in three different ways. Three different kinds of courage. He says, first, Joseph had to have courage enough to endure disdain. Can you imagine the blank stares, the behind-the-back snickers when Joseph told his friends about Mary's pregnancy? Can you imagine how they would have responded? They must have concluded he was either crazy or he was gullible, and he'd been completely fooled by his young wife. Joseph's friends and family and co-workers, they must have thought at best this was some elaborate hoax, and we will too receive such questions where, where others might question our faith. We, too, will receive questions, especially during this Christmas season. This has vastly changed in the past few decades. 50 or 60 years ago, if you weren't in church on Sunday, your boss might ask you about it on Monday. Nowadays, it's the other way around, isn't it? Bob Dylan was right about at least one thing. The times, they have a changed, and it takes courage. It takes courage to hold orthodox Christian faith. It takes courage because, like Joseph, we will experience some disdain. We have to endure it. Second, Tim Keller says Joseph had to have courage to give up his self-determination. In the first century culture, um, fathers were given the right to name their children. But did you notice in the story, the angel takes that away. The angel tells Joseph what to name his son, his adopted son. And, and yet by, ref, by refusing Joseph that opportunity to name his son, the angel's saying being adopted into the family of God through Jesus means that he's your manager, not that you are his. I don't know about you and your walk of faith, but there are so many times in my own where I have prayed the prayer. You've seen it in movies, right? God, if you get me out of this jam... 
And sometimes if we're not careful, we can do the opposite of what Joseph is called to do. We can become Jesus' manager. We can come to him with conditions. If you get me out of this jam, then I'll serve you. I'll, I'll give, I'll do whatever you call me to do. But Joseph reveals to us how we're called to receive his word, not as mere recommendations for our lives, for our living, but we are called to give him our honor and our service. We're, we're to allow Jesus to name us, not for us to name Jesus. Our culture tells us to thine own self be true. But Jesus invites us to deny ourselves, to lay down our lives, to let Jesus name us, not for us to name him. Third, and lastly, Tim Keller says, um, we need the courage to admit that we're sinners. We need the courage to admit that we've missed the mark, that we've dropped the ball. We need courage to admit that we are sinners in need of a Savior. The angel says that Jesus' whole mission, the whole reason he's come, is to save his people from their sins. But that doesn't help much if people don't admit that they're sinners. He can't save us from our sins if we don't recognize and repent of those sins. Where do we get this courage to endure the world's disdain? Where do we get this courage to give up our own self-determination? Where do we get this courage to admit that we're sinners? We get it from Jesus himself, don't we? Because Jesus himself had courage. G.K. Chesterton once concluded this. He said, alone of all the creeds, alone of all the religions, Christianity has added courage to the virtues of the Creator. Christianity has added courage to the virtues of the Creator. We know all of those virtues about God's omnipotence, His omnipresence. That God is all-knowing and all-powerful and always with us. We know about these virtues of our Creator. And G.K. Chesterton says, alone of all the creeds, of all the religions, Christianity tells us that God had to have courage. That God had to have courage that we might have courage. That Jesus came down from the heights of heaven to be born in that manger. Talk about courage. To enter into the creation that he made by the breath of his own word. Alone of all the creeds, Christianity has added courage to the virtues of the creator. One of my favorite quotes about Christmas comes from an author named Philip Yancey. He wrote a book called The Bible Jesus Read. It's all about the Hebrew scriptures and how Jesus would have read a number of things in those Hebrew scriptures as they pointed forward to him. He says the Jews were raised on volcanic images of Sinai and with a reverence for God so profound they would neither speak nor write his name. They would ever wait in fear, not just in hope for the coming Messiah. But who can endure the day of his coming, cried the prophet Malachi in alarm. The last prophet, 400 years before Jesus' birth, Malachi says, Who can endure the day of his coming? For he will be like a refiner's fire. If the Lord of hosts paid a personal visit to corrupted earth, would any of its inhabitants survive? Would earth itself survive if God arrived? Yet, as Isaiah makes clear, the God who visits earth comes not in a raging whirlwind, nor in a devouring fire. Behold, a virgin will conceive 
and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus arrives in the tiniest, least threatening form imaginable as an ovum, and then a fetus growing cell by cell inside the belly of a peasant virgin who no doubt had been shamed and excluded and ostracized. That egg divides and redivides until a fetus takes shape, and finally a single baby bursts forth from Mary's loins to join the other puny human beings on their tiny speck of a planet. Why? Because God had courage. God had courage. Courage that made for an unexpected arrival. So this Christmas, may we have courage as well. May we have courage. Perhaps you are ridiculed in your own household for heading off to church every Sunday morning. Maybe you're mocked in your office for holding firm to what you know to be true. Uh, I recently ran across a study that told us um, that our perception of income and material possessions is contextual. It's influenced by the neighborhood in which we live. And so those in the study remarked feeling uncomfortable when they brought home as little as 10% less than their neighbors. How interesting is that? That they said, well, about 10% is the difference. And, and it, it struck me, and because even if we bring home the exact amount as our neighbors, but we are faithful in a tithe, well, then we're going to feel inadequate. We're going to feel like we don't measure up, like they can't keep up with the Joneses. We're going to feel a little bit more like Joseph if we're faithful to what God has called us to. It seems, if it seems like no one cares, all that you endure in your household or your workplace or your neighborhood, remember that God sees. And remember that God has called us to courage. And God calls us to be courageous, to endure our disdain, to give up our self-determination, and to admit that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And that's the reason that Jesus came. That's the reason he took on human flesh, because he had courage in order to give us courage to remain faithful, to remain committed, to remain courageous in all that he calls us to. And so, Father, this Christmas season especially, we pause and give you thanks for the arrival of Jesus. It was an unexpected arrival indeed. And we ask that as we think about the miracle and the mystery of the incarnation that Jesus Christ takes on human flesh, that we would have courage. Courage to admit that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Courage to give up our self-determination. And courage to endure the world's disdain to endure whatever the world throws at us, that we might have courage, just like Jesus had courage. May the world hear of the good news of your arrival this season. May our friends and our family, those in our networks and neighborhoods, hear the good news this Christmas that you have come. That you have come to bring salvation to the entire world that it's an open door for anyone to be welcomed in. We give you thanks for that good news this Christmas and ask that you would fill our hearts with hope as we look forward to Jesus' return. It's in his name we pray. Amen.